Welcome to the Retzel Health Law Hotspot. Health Law Hotspot is a podcast for physicians and health professionals that covers the legal issues and trends that affect the healthcare industry. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Health Law Hotspot. I'm Erica Adler, shareholder and leader of the healthcare practice at Retzel and & Andrus. And today I'm joined by Christina Kuda, who is part of our Health Law Group and a true expert on healthcare matters. And today we're going to be talking about some enforcement related to the good faith estimate portion of the No Surprises Act. And you may recall that we touched upon this last year in a podcast. So what we're going to do is we're going to kind of remind everyone of what the statute uh, requires and um, how it may be enforced and what you need to do to make sure that you're compliant or that your practice is compliant. Um, so Christina, I understand this went into effect uh, January 1, 2022. Tell us a little bit about what we're seeing going on with it now. Sure. Thanks for having me. Um, so the good faith estimate portion of the No Surprises Act, like you said, went into effect in January 1st, 2022. And we're actually now starting to become aware of investigations and potential enforcement actions by CMS related to compliance with this law. In fact, we are aware of at least one practice that's been given an investigation letter and a request for information for failure to provide a GFE in a timely fashion and failure to provide some information from co-providers to update the good faith estimate. That particular practice received a letter from CMS and the letter is extensive with information that CMS is requiring the practice to provide in order to be able to investigate the matter and determine if they're going to uh, take any enforcement action against the practice. And also the letter only allows the practice 10 days to be able to respond with this just voluminous amount of information. So. This says to us that CMS is taking this very seriously and is intending to look into complaints regarding the good faith estimate and also take enforcement action where potentially necessary. All right, so just to remind everyone who's listening, let's talk about what these good faith estimate requirements are. Sure, so the good faith estimate is required for patients who are self-paying, which includes patients who may have insurance, but if the provider is out of network and the patient does not have out of network and benefits, they are considered essentially a patient without insurance. It's also for patients who have chosen, even though they have insurance, to self-pay for a service and not elect to have insurance billed for the service. In those instances, the provider must give a good faith estimate related to the services for which the patient is scheduled to receive. That is a written document, and it contains a lot of required information under the law. For example, it must have the applicable diagnosis codes, expected service codes, expected charges associated with each listed item or service. It must have the name, NPI, and FEIN of each provider providing services under that good faith estimate. It must state where the services will be provided and furnished. It must have specific demographic information about the patient, such as name, address, et cetera. 
Um, also, there's specific notifications that must be made and disclaimer language that's required by law including that patients have right to receive the good faith estimate, how a patient can complain if they don't receive a good faith estimate or don't receive it in a manner they feel meets legal requirements, and also how they can dispute charges if it turns out that what they are being asked to pay versus what they were told the expected charges were exceeds more than $400. Um, these good faith estimates can be gleaned off a template provided by CMS. They have actually a pretty good template that a provider can use. So you'll know that it contains all the information required by law or a provider can draft their own, but I would definitely recommend they look at that template and the legal requirements to make sure that all the requirements in the template are actually in any specific document uh, drafted by the practice. The GFE also must be provided in a way that's accessible to patients. So if they require large prints, maybe braille, an audio file, or some other form of communication for a patient, patients can ask for a hard copy of it or an electronic version. And patients also can ask that it be explained verbally, either in person or over the phone. Once a GFE estimate is provided to the patient, it becomes part of the patient's medical record and has to be retained for at least a six year period. Okay. So what then is the timing? Is it, I mean, a lot of times you go in uh, and these are, you know, cash services and it sure. happens very quickly. Um, so what is the timing for uh, healthcare practices to make this available? Okay. So if somebody schedules a service less than three days out from when they do the scheduling, no GFE is provided. So if on Monday I schedule a service for Wednesday, the practice does not have to provide a GFE. Also for walk-in services or immediate services, GFEs are not required. So like an urgent care center where patients are just walking in, for example, a GFE wouldn't be required. For other patients, if a service is scheduled at least 10 days prior to the date it will be furnished. The GFE must be provided to the patient no later than three business days after scheduling. If the service is scheduled at least three to nine days prior to when it will be furnished, the GFE must be provided to the patient no later than one business day after scheduling. If a patient requests a GFE or asks to discuss the cost of an item or service, then the GFE must be made within three days after the patient's request. Okay. All right. So there's a lot of detail here. Um, and we have to kind of wonder how many practices are, are truly complying with this. I hope it's uh, more than you and I think. So let's talk about the different uh, providers that might be involved in a patient's care. How does this impact them uh, and does it change the requirements at all? Sure. So the provider who is the one who receives an initial request for a GFE or who for the patient is scheduling the primary service they're going to receive is called the convening provider. So that provider has to give the GFE in the form and within the time limits we just discussed. The convening provider also is responsible for collecting estimates from co-providers. And that's any provider or facility other than the convening provider that will furnish items or services 
that are customarily provided in conjunction with the primary service the convening provider is, is giving to the patient. Um, so a really good example of that, like for a surgical patient, might be the patient's you know, going to their surgeon, the surgeon provides the GFE for the surgeon services, but there's going to be labs, anesthesia, hospital charges, things that are not going to be provided by the convening provider that the convening provider has to also provide on the GFE. And the requirement is that the convening provider must request that information from the co-providers within one day after the service is scheduled. And the co-providers must respond within one business day of that request. Okay, so this is information if you're doing business with somebody who is um, needing to comply with these requirements that you better coordinate and make sure that there's communication going on. So even if you're a, you know, a provider that doesn't think these rules directly impact you, they may very well impact you. Correct? Absolutely. You may be impacted as a co-provider. And when I mentioned that template that CMS puts out for GFE, the good faith estimate, they also have in that template the actual information that's required from co-providers. So it sort of is easy to, to fill out and see what you really need to provide to a patient. Okay. So finally, you know, what type of notices are practices required? We talked about sending them that good faith estimate, um, but when you're walking into a practice, how can you tell if they're complying with, you know, the law? Sure. So there actually is a specific notice that must be provided and accessible to patients that has specific language required under the law. And again, there is a template that CMS has put out that you can use or use to model your own uh, notice. So this must be posted on the practice's website in a specific format where it can be found if you search for it. And also it has to be able to be printable. The GFE estimates themselves also have to be printable as well. So if I send a GFE to a patient via email, I can't have a lock on it or something that doesn't allow a patient to print it on their end. There also must be a notice of the right to receive a good faith estimate posted at the front desk and any place where patients can pay or discuss their bills. Again, the notices have to have very specific language required by law. So it's not enough just to say you have the right to a good faith estimate. There's specific information that needs to be in there. So using the CMS template or, or a document that's modeled after that template will be the most helpful. So really, I mean, no practice knows whether somebody's going to come in and choose to self-pay even if they have insurance. Uh, so really, this is something that every practice, for the most part, might anticipate uh, as being something they need to look into at least or comply with. So you can't assume, oh, you know, we 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 bill insurance, so we don't need this because you're telling us that it applies. If somebody says, yeah, I don't really want to bill this to my insurance, I want to pay for it myself, correct? Exactly. And, you know, it, it may not be a common occurrence, but it also may be an occurrence that happens that you need to be aware of and make sure you have all these requirements in place, particularly also the notice that they have a right to receive this good faith estimate if they so choose or in an instance where they don't have insurance or are not 
using insurance. I think it's also important too, because we have seen a proliferation over the last few years of practices that are normally very much insurance billing practices that have added services that are cash only services, items that are not covered by insurance. These would fall uh, under the good faith estimate requirements. Okay, so, I mean, I'm guessing complaints that arise are probably being driven by patients themselves, or are we aware of any just random investigations going on? So I'm not yet aware of any random investigations where they're kind of just, you know, taking, uh, you know, random practices or just sort of taking sample sizes and looking at practices and seeing if they are actually meeting the legal requirements. The the one investigation that we of which we're aware was specifically a patient complaint saying that she did not receive her good faith estimate within the required time period and also that she never received the good faith estimate component related to the co-providers of the of the primary convening provider. And again, you know, CMS is definitely taking it seriously by sending out a very robust uh, requirement, uh, document requirement for the practice to uh, respond to in a very tight time period. And do we know what the repercussions are for non-compliance? Is it in financial, um, a reprimand, a warning, or we don't know yet how intensely they're going to enforce it? So because I'm, you know, we're really not aware of a lot of enforcement that's gone to the end at this point where the investigation has been completed and CMS has is, is challenged what was done and actually enforced the law in some manner. It's difficult to say what they may do, but all those items are on the table. I mean, there could be financial implications. There could be just a reprimand that says, don't do it again. There could be education because maybe the provider honestly didn't understand the law well enough and was trying to comply earnestly. I mean, all those are potentially on the table. I think, you know, people that have chosen just not to comply or think it doesn't comply with them or just are totally not aware of the law. Unfortunately, as we all know, ignorance of the law is no excuse. I think those may be the providers that may, may be at most risk of some of the harsher sanctions and penalties than people who are really truly trying to comply, but it's a newer law, there's not a ton of guidance yet, so they may just not be aware that they're not fully complying. Okay, great. All right, any final thoughts that you wanna share? Other than, you know, take a look at what you're doing with the good faith estimate. Don't assume that it will not apply to your practice. And if you, have any questions, make sure you reach out to a uh, knowledgeable legal counsel to guide you through the process. Okay, great. Well, thanks everyone for joining us on the Health Law Hotspot. That was Christina Kuda and I'm Erica Adler. I hope you'll join us next time and you can catch more of our podcasts at ralaw.com. See you next time. The Retzel Health Law Hotspot is made available by the firm and its attorneys for educational purposes and to provide general information, not to provide specific legal advice. Use of the Wetzel Health Law Hotspot does not create an attorney-client relationship between you and the firm or any of its attorneys. The Wetzel Health Law Hotspot should not be used as a substitute for competent legal advice, and you should contact an attorney in your state about any legal needs or questions you may have.